Welcome to the Uncommon Church Podcast. Today, you'll hear a message from our pastor, Brad Carrington. We hope that it helps you to know God, grow strong in your faith, and do all that he has called you to do. Um, we are in a series talking about the mind, and this is actually week five. Uh, this is our fifth week talking about the supernatural power of a transformed mind. And we've, we've been through a lot. I, I, for time, I won't recap. Of course, it's all on YouTube. And I, I would encourage you to go back and watch the messages. Um, and we, we're talking about the fact that it is possible to allow the computer operating system of our lives, that our minds would be transformed, that our minds would be made new again. And last week, we've been, and all of this has been setting up that we're believing God for miracles in our life. That, that when we see a problem or a need, that our, our knee-jerk reaction in our mind would be like, well, that's just an opportunity for God to move in power. And we would believe and trust God to move in miracles. And we've talked about the fact that our lives are the house of God and that there is a, a, a stairway that leads up into heaven. And it's not a, a holy, special place. It's anywhere you are, the presence of God is there in your life. And we are to learn to cultivate and host the presence of God. Whether we're here in church or we're in traffic or we're at school or we're at work or we're at the grocery store, that we would host the presence of God. But I, I think that there is a plague in the church, in our minds, and that is that we would actually believe that we are saved. That we would actually believe that we're fully 100% children of the Most High God and not just a little saved that goes to church once in a while when it's convenient. And I often will remind you of these letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to all of these different churches throughout the Mediterranean world. And it's funny because you'd think he's writing these letters to super Christians, G.I. Joe level 10 Christians. But if you think about it, he's probably just writing it to everybody. But he does this weird thing where he refers to all the Jesus followers as saints. To the saints that are in Rome and loved by God, called to be saints to the saints that are in Ephesus, to the saints that are in Corinth, called by God to be saints, to the saints in Christ Jesus in Philippi, to the saints in Eulis and Bedford and Hurst and North Richland Hills and anywhere in the mid-cities of DFW. He's speaking to the saints. And you may be like, is everybody a saint in Paul's mind? Well, was it not the Holy Spirit that called Paul to pen those words? Of course, not everybody was perfect. Of course, not everybody was super, super duper holy. But Paul was speaking to them by their identity that God was revealing to Paul about them. These were regular people. They were Jews and Gentiles and Romans and Greeks. These were regular folk. And when Paul wrote a letter by the Holy Spirit, he referred to them as saints. So what does that word mean in Greek? For those of you that might not know, the Old Testament, the story of the Jewish people, um, that was written in Hebrew, but the New Testament was written in Greek. So that word for saint is literally the same word as holy. So when he's calling us saints, he's calling us holy ones. It's literally the same word for holy, like holy spirit, right? Holy people. That's what he means by saints, that we are holy. And you might think, dude, I don't really know that I don't know that holy can I let you in on a little secret? That's why we're going to talk about this today. Because when you repented of your sin, when you asked God to forgive you, you, you surrendered your life to Jesus, you asked the Lord to come into your life, that he would be the king of your heart, the Lord of your life, you were born again. 
And that's an expression we throw around in the church world that's like, yeah, we're so glad with t-shirts and websites and bumper stickers, we're born again, praise hallelujah. But if you think about it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And there was actually a guy in Jesus' life that was like, hey, um, what does it mean to be born again? And Jesus' answer was, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you're not going to see the kingdom of heaven. He's like, huh? And then he literally asked, does that mean I have to go back through my mother's womb? No, we're not talking about a physical birth. We're talking about a spiritual rebirth because the old version of you has to die. And then Jesus said, if you'll die, I will live in you. You're born again. Paul told the church in Galatia that all of those that belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified in the flesh. And all of your passions and all of your desires of the flesh, crucified. Now that term doesn't mean a whole lot in Tarrant County in 2022. But when that word was used, your flesh has been crucified, every single person in the Roman world knew the gruesome ugly, painful death that the Romans would do to criminals where they would take their body and nail their hands and feet to a cross and they would just slowly bleed out and die in front of their whole city. And that's the illustration that Paul uses about your flesh, your sinful desires. He said you have to crucify your flesh. You have to die so you can be born again. So it was actually God that directed the Apostle Paul to write a letter to all of the Jesus followers and say, I want to remind you that you are saints, you are holy ones, you're no longer sinners. But I'm telling you, the battle for that understanding and revelation is right here in our mind. It's one thing to read it and go, oh, praise the Lord. It's something else to go, no, listen, I am a saint, I am a holy one. I have died to my old sinful ways. I believe that I have been born again. It requires the renewing and transformation of the mind to actually believe that we're saved. And then here's where some people be like, yeah, but um, I, I still sin sometimes. Listen, when you were born again, you didn't lose the ability to sin. You simply lost the ability to enjoy it. I'll say it over here because they didn't amen like y'all did. When you became a believer, a follower of Jesus, you did not lose the ability to sin. You lost the ability to enjoy it. They got it. So yes, a saint can sin, but we're just no longer professional sinners. Does that make sense? It means that we take on a new nature. The Bible says that we become a new creation. If anyone is in Christ Jesus, they become a new creation. The old version of you has passed away. We had a funeral for the old version of you. We stood somberly around the old sinful version of you and we kicked some dirt on you because now you're a new creation. You have been born again. Behold, the past is gone. The new is what you are living in and that includes a new way of thinking. I will say this. If you can sin and not feel remorse, your nature has not yet been renewed. You, you might not be as saved as you think you are. If you can get drunk, if you can get high, if you can look at porn, if you can lie, if you can get angry, if you can sleep with somebody you're not married to, if you can sin and not feel like an agony, like, ah, oh, crud, I can't believe I did that, then you need to get right with Jesus today. And then here's where religious people, well, bless God, don't put your shame on me, brother. 
Because of the grace of the Lord, I can sin sometimes. Listen, if you think grace is permission for you to continue to sin, you don't understand grace and you don't understand the character and nature of a holy God. Grace is not permission to sin. Grace is the empowerment of God to live holy. All right, open your Bible so I can start this message. I was just talking. There's an interesting story that is in two places in the Bible. And ever since Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1, 2, 3, there was a sin problem in the world. Adam and Eve sinned, and then that sin nature was handed down from generation to generation. So God created a plan of salvation for the world. How can we fix this sin problem in the world? And he picked a guy. He picked a guy named Abram, later changed his name to Abraham, who would become the father of many nations. He said, through this guy, through Abraham, I'm going to, through all of his kids and grandkids and great-grandkids and great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandkids, I'm going to create a nation of people, the Jewish people, that there will be a, a, a Messiah, a Savior, that will be for the whole world, not just for that one nation of people, but this Messiah will be for the whole world. And you might think, if you don't know the history, well, like, praise the Lord. That's wonderful. Congratulations to Abraham. Small problem. Abraham was 99 years old and had never had any children. His wife, Sarah, was 90 years old, and it was impossible for her to have children. So they are this geriatric elderly couple that had never had any kids, and then God comes on the scene and says, you're going to have a son. So that story is recorded in Genesis chapter 18. Hopefully you're taking notes because you guys are really good, diligent note takers. In Genesis chapter 18, Moses records the story. The Lord said to Abram, I'm going to come back at the same time next year, and your wife Sarah is going to have a son, 90-year-old Sarah. is going to have a baby. Sarah was listening to this conversation behind the tent door. And Abraham and Sarah were old. They were advanced in years. The, and here's this is an interesting, very polite way of saying it. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. <laughs> Ladies, which, what, what, Paul, what, what Moses is very gently trying to say is, Aunt Flo hasn't come for a visit in many, many years. <laughs> the baby-making factory has been shut down. So, verse 12, Sarah laughed to herself and said, am I worn out? And my Lord, and she means Abraham, is so old that I'm going to have the pleasure of having a son this, not, this time next year. And then the Lord said to Abraham, um, hey dude, why did Sarah laugh? And then Sarah denied it and lied to God and said, oh, I didn't, I didn't laugh. Because she was afraid. And then the Lord said, girlfriend, you totally laughed. God gives Abraham this prophetic word that is so big, it would take unbelievable faith for Abraham and Sarah to actually embrace this word in their hearts, in their minds, and believe it. It's impossible. And then Sarah's like, it's so impossible, I'm going to laugh at God. And then God's like, dude, why are you laughing at me? And you're like, oh, I didn't laugh. And then she lies to God. She's like on boo-boo on top of boo-boo on top of boo-boo. Do you know that this exact same story is recorded in the New Testament? In Hebrews chapter 11, it was recorded in the hall of faith. If you've never read Hebrews chapter 11, man, that's your homework. 
Hebrews chapter 11 records all of the, the greatest men and women in the Old Testament for the great acts of faith that they did. And this same story about Abraham and Sarah and the promise and her laughing and her lying is recorded. And here's what God said to the writer of Hebrews. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even though she was past the age because she considered him faithful who had promised. Wait, what? Did we just read the same story? Because when I read the historic version of that story, she didn't believe at all. But when I read the version of the story that God told the writer of Hebrews to record, she totally believed. What happened to all her laughing and lying part? When God writes the story in Hebrews chapter 11, God says, Sarah believed the promise, and that was the power triggered to conceive. Now, at some point in the following days to the Genesis version of that story, these two geriatric people got together and made a baby. And a year later, Isaac was born. But when God wrote the story, he left out the part, this is important, he left out the part about her unbelief and her sin. Because in the mind of the Lord, Sarah was faithful to the promise. God only remembers who we are after we repent. He has no recollection of the life that we lived before we gave our hearts to Jesus. When Jesus visits our hearts and he washes away our sin and all of that sin from your former life is put under the blood of Jesus, it's actually illegal to reach back in and claim something from your past that has already been washed away by the blood of Jesus. It's as if you're crucifying Jesus all over again for a sin that he removed from your life 2,000 years ago. And most of that battle takes place right here in your mind. Because if you would allow your mind to revisit sinful things that you did before you were a Christian, you are opening yourself up to the spirit of deception. Why would it be considered deception? Because you are mentally revisiting something, a place in your mind that no longer exists. So you've been deceived. If you have pictures and memories of your life, you know, oh, do you guys remember that time we did that thing and all that happened? You are mentally going back to something that doesn't exist anymore because it's not like Jesus covered that. Jesus removed that from your life. You're not the same person. That person is dead. You are a new creation. Why? You have been born again. That's your former life. So don't empower the lie from the grave. The truth is you're a new creation. The truth is you were buried with Christ in that tomb 2,000 years ago. Paul told the church in Colossae, when you were buried with Christ is when you were baptized. This is why it's so important that you get baptized. And with him, you were raised to new life because you trusted in the mighty power of God that raised Christ from the dead. If you have repented of your sin and made Jesus the Lord of your life, you must be baptized in water. And you can do it today, right after this message. If you have recommitted your life to the Lord because you had let your heart wander and you'd gotten back into sin and you've re-surrendered your life to Jesus, you should be baptized in water today. Because it is a more than a symbol. It is that you are 
dying with Christ and then being raised to new life that is apart from that former sinful version of yourself. Our minds must be transformed and renewed to believe that we are actually saints and not sinners. And if we would believe it, it's going to affect how we live. To know and believe that we are children of the Most High God and that we are not orphans is our identity. We are royalty. We are sons and daughters of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But the devil will come and he'll come in your mind to rob you of your identity. That's why we do the stupid things we're not supposed to do. That's why we get high, get drunk, sleep with people we're not married to, lie, get angry, flip people off on 183, whatever. The reason why we sin is because we have believed a lie about our identity. We have forgotten that we're royalty. We've forgotten. And here's what we think. We think the love of God has been removed from our lives. Because the devil wants to trick you. He wants to lie to you and deceive you that the love of God could even be diminished in your life. But look what the Apostle Paul told the church in Rome about the love of God for the saints. He said, I am sure, I am convinced that not life, nor death, nor angels, nor any rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor the powers or the heights or depths or anything else in all of creation would ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God because you are in Christ Jesus. Nothing in the present, nothing in the future. What's missing? The past. He didn't mention our past separating us from the love of God. Now, I am not saying, because I don't have this kind of theological understanding, that your past can separate you from the love of God, but it can separate you from your awareness of the love of God. If you dwell on your former self, you might think that God loves everybody else, but he doesn't love you as much. You are thinking with an unrenewed mind, an untransformed mind. And you might think, this sounds a little new agey, Pastor Brad, a little mind over matter. This is kind of fantasy land about how we think. No, that's not what it is. This is faith. Simple, very simple faith. I trust the power of the cross, and I've put my faith in Jesus. And yes, I want all of you to believe for miracles and signs and wonders and, and, and words of prophecy. And, but more than that, I want you to live like the redeemed. I want you to live like a son and a daughter of the Most High God. I want you to know that you're saved and then act like it. Because while we're talking about this transformed and renewing of our mind, I'm hitting it from all these different angles. Why? For two reasons. Number one, it is possible for your mind to be renewed and transformed to think like the Lord wants you to think. Two, it is clearly possible for your mind to be unrenewed. Remember that Paul wrote this letter about having our minds renewed to the church. It wasn't written to unchurched people. The need to have the mind renewed was written to Christians, that we would allow our minds to go through the metamorphosis, the transformation, that our minds would be so full of the Holy Spirit. I want to show you three distinct steps of this process. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Pay careful attention when we're using verses that say you might not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral 
nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, none of them are going to inherit the kingdom of God. Look at verse 11. This is so important. Some of you used to do those things, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ our Lord. Three distinct steps. Let's talk about the first one. You were washed. What does, that, what does that mean? You used to be in sin, but Jesus loved you so much that even before you were born, he took your sin to, on his body, and 2,000 years ago, he allowed his body to carry the pain and punishment of your sin. So when you came to Christ, when you humbled yourself before him, and you died to your old self, and you asked him to forgive you of your sins, Jesus did not cover your sins. He washed away your sins. You have been washed white as snow. You are a child of God, not an orphan. You are a saint, not a sinner. That's to be washed. But then you have to be justified. And actually, I'm going to come back to sanctified in a minute, so hang on. Let's jump to justified. What does it mean to be justified? What a big, weird, churchy church word, justified. Let me give you an example in modern, natural words. Those of you that don't know my wife and I, we have three children. They're all adults now, and I have a grandbaby on the way. Just thought I should tell everybody that. My oldest is 25, six, five, six, five, five. My oldest is 25, and I totally knew that. When she popped out 25, when she popped out 25 years ago, I picked that little baby up into my arms and immediately tears streaming down my face. I, I, they cut the cord first. There's not like a long extension cord on your imagination. Okay. I, I held that baby and I began to pray and I began to cry out to God. And I said, this is my baby girl. This is my baby girl. And I just, I, I, was, I was just praying over her. I was, I, was, I was praying in tongues over her. I was prophesying over her. And I just held her. I said, this is my baby girl. And we took pictures and we showed the world, this is my baby girl. I knew that. Those of you that were adults knew that. She was an infant. She didn't know nothing. She didn't know me. We didn't have a relationship. But I called her mine, that's justification. She still needed to go through the process of growing up and learning things and maturing and building a relationship with the Father, that's sanctification. So there's three things that you need to learn. Your sins need to be washed away, and you need to know that you have been justified, that you, God said, that's mine. That one's mine. Before all of heaven and earth, Jesus said, you are mine. You have been justified by God as a child of God. But the sanctification part, the third step, comes through the renewing of our mind, that over time, we would grow, we would mature, we would read our Bibles, we would understand what it means to know God, to know his character, to know the Father. Because washing of our sin and justification, they happen in an instant. Sanctification is a process of maturing that takes time. 
We have to learn the ways of God. We have to develop a personal, intimate relationship with God as Father. And some of you might feel like, I don't feel God. I feel like I'm all alone in this process. God is a loving Father. He doesn't leave you alone as you're learning and maturing and growing. All three of my kids learn to ride a bike. So you buy them a little toddler bike and it comes with the training wheels. But they're, I don't know, three? I mean, even on training wheels, a, a brand new three-year-old could flip that thing over and get boo-boos. So when my kids were learning to ride bikes, even on training wheels, I was walking alongside them and I was running alongside them and I was encouraging them and sometimes I'm even holding them up so they don't fall. Why? Because I love my children and I want them to learn. I want them to mature. I want them to go through the sanctification process of growing up. And as they got to other levels, we would take the training wheels off. But in those early times of wheels off, I'm still right there and I'm running alongside and I'm encouraging them. And if they're going to fall, I'd reach out and grab them. Sometimes we missed and that's why we got band-aids. But the point is, my kids are all adults. But we, over all these years, have developed a very close personal relationship. And if my kids need me, I'm running alongside of them, encouraging them, loving on them, praying for them. You're not alone in your sanctification process. You're, God loves you. He's crazy about you. He's cheering for you. He's rooting you on. He's holding you up sometimes because he's a good, good father. He's setting you up to succeed in life. He is for you, not against you. He wants the best for you. But sometimes we need to train our minds to really believe that we're born again. To really believe, to learn to live like the redeemed. This is why the devil wants to attack your identity so much. Do you know the devil's a liar? Everything that the devil says is a lie. But the problem is with our minds, Sometimes we'll take the bait of Satan and we'll bite the hook of unbelief and we'll question our identity as sanctified and we fall back into sinful ways. We act like sinners and not saints. Why? Because our identity was challenged and we didn't know who we were in our identity. If that has ever happened to you, you are in good company because it happened to Jesus. You guys remember when Jesus was called into ministry by God? He hadn't started his ministry. There hadn't been walking on water. There was no multiplying food, no miracles. Just a, a young rabbi getting started. And he goes down to the Jordan River to see his cousin John, John the Baptist. He says, John, it's time. And he was baptized by John, which is another reason, follow Jesus' example and be baptized in water. He was baptized in water, and as he came up out of the water, an audible voice of the Lord said, this is my son whom I love. Turn the page. Two verses. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit out into the wilderness and he was tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty hungry after the first meal that I've skipped. He went 40 days and 40 nights and then he got hungry. The tempter, the devil, the liar came and said, um... If you are the Son of God, why don't you tell these stones to become bread? And Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Can I let you in on a little secret? The devil heard the voice of God at the Jordan River, and the devil heard the Father say, this is my beloved Son. But the very next thing the devil does is question Jesus' identity. If you're the son of God, make carbs. 
why I have to always just, devil, get thee behind me, carbs. Clearly, I have had an unrenewed mind at times. So if you ever have been living your life and you feel like the devil is challenging your identity, you're in good company. Because that's his trick, that's his only real trick, is that we would think, we would take the bait with our mind, that we would believe that we're not sons and daughters of the Most High God. Can I give you a little side note, just a little fun fact on the side? Did you notice that Jesus' response to the challenge of his identity was, devil, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. I remind you, he's quoting the Bible, and the New Testament had not been written yet because Jesus is still living it out and creating it. He's quoting the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3, because why? The Bible is the key to knowing your identity in Christ. Some people are like, well, I just want to go to a church where I experience the power of God. Yeah, experiences are good. Like, you know, the audible voice of God would be an experience that somebody would want to write a book about and host a conference. There'd be a podcast about it. But Jesus didn't lean on his own experience hearing the audible voice of God. He leaned on the Word of God and said, it is written. If you're not reading your Bible every day, if you're not hungry for the Word of God, you are setting yourself up to fail in the challenge of your mind and your identity. The Word of God trumps amazing experiences that we have had with God. Don't get me wrong, I love experiences with God, but Jesus himself said, yeah, but the Word of God is more important. So you need to crack that Bible and study it every single day. Meditate on it, read it, understand it, learn it, look it up, cross-reference it, ask questions, get involved in one of our you groups, small groups, where we study the Word of God and you can ask questions and learn and grow. It's so important that we put a value on the Word of God, even more than an audible word from heaven. Don't let the devil question who you are in Christ. He did the same thing back in the Garden of Eden. God said, Adam, Eve, don't eat of that tree. And the very first temptation was not eating of the fruit. The very first temptation was, um, hey, did God really say you shouldn't eat of that fruit? The devil's going to try to get you to question the Word of God. The devil's going to try to get you to question your identity in Christ. If you have repented of your sin and made Jesus the Lord of your life, believe it and act like it. Hop up on your feet. Sometimes people will come to me and say, Pastor, man, I, I messed up, I fell back into whatever, fell back into a sexual relationship I shouldn't, fell back into pornography addiction, fell back into weed, fell back into getting drunk with the boys. I'd be like, okay. That's just, you are royalty and you are acting in an unbecoming manner of royalty. So I'm just gonna point you back to your identity as a son of the King of Kings. Ephesians, Paul's writing a letter to the church in Ephesus. Church is a lot like our church. The people are a lot like you people. He said, God was rich in his mercy. And it was because of his great love for you that even though you were dead in sin and trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by the grace that we have now been saved in. And then... He raised us up together with Jesus and seated us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Can I say something? God chose you. 
Because he says when we were dead in our sin, dead people don't make choices. So even in our sin, even in our funk, even in our distance from God, he looked at us and said, yeah, I choose that one. That's, that's mine. That's going to be adopted into my family. I'm going to take their sin and I'm going to put it on my back. Why? Because of my great love for them. And then I'm going to die and then together, through the waters of baptism, together, we're both going to be raised to new life, eternal life. You know that you'll never taste death, right? Your body will die and we're going to be real sad and we're going to cry and we're going to put you in the ground and kick some dirt on you, but you're not going to die. You get that, right? You're going to go from life to life. You're going to go from eternal life to eternal life. You're going to go from Jesus here to Jesus everywhere. You're never going to die. You're going to get old, and your bag of meat and bones is going to stop ticking, but you will never die. That's your identity. you got to believe that. you got to let your mind believe that. Meditate on that. You're no longer a sinner. You're a saint. And did you catch the second part of that verse? We have been seated in heavenly places together with Christ. Do you really want to get drunk seated next to Jesus? Do you really want to get high seated next to Jesus? Do you really want to take your clothes off of somebody you're not married to seated next to Jesus? Do you really want to tell that big lie or get angry or freak out on somebody sitting next to Jesus in heavenly places? I don't think so. Just remember your identity. You're saved. You've been born again. Those former things have passed. You just got to tell your mind that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for loving us when we really weren't worthy of love. When we were dead in our own sin and rebellion, you looked down and you said, yep, that's the one I want. I love him, I love him, I love him. So Lord, we thank you, we honor you, we bless you, we, we celebrate you, we worship you. You are so good that you love us when we're so unloving and unworthy of love. I thank you that you don't just cover our sin, you wash our sin away. That we die to our old life so we can live for you. That you would live in us, that you would seat us together in heavenly places. Lord, I pray that you would transform our minds to really believe and trust the work that you have begun. I thank you that you justified us. I thank you that on the day we gave our heart to you, that you called out in front of all the angels and said, this one's mine. And I thank you, Lord, for the process of sanctification, that as we study your word and as we, we lean in and we hunger and thirst for more, that you mature us and you grow us into a knowledge and relationship with you that you strengthen us. We build our, our house on the rock. Lord, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I, ju I just pray we would, we would think about you, Jesus. I pray we would fix our eyes on you. And Lord, I know there's probably some people here in the room or watching on YouTube that don't really know you like this. They're, they're still living in sin. They haven't been born again. They haven't had this transformation where you've justified and washed away their sin. So Lord, if there's people here this morning or watching online, I pray that today be the day of salvation. 
I pray today be the day we humble ourselves before your love and we ask that you would forgive us and wash us of all of our sin. Lord, there's some people here today that struggle with their mind, struggle to believe. There's some people that have lost their identity as children of the Most High God, and we've allowed ourselves back into sin. We've, we, we, we've, we've reached in under your blood, and we've begun to commit sins again that we, we walked away from years ago. So Lord, I, I pray, whether it's the first time or the first time in a long time, that today would be the day that people surrender to you and ask to be adopted into your family and be baptized in water, that we would die to our old life so we can live with you forever and ever and ever. Thank you for listening to the Uncommon Church Podcast. If this message has impacted your life, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. And for more information on our church community, you can click the link in the description or visit uncommonchurch.tv.